0: I'm Ian Dalimore, and this is Digital Endure.
1: The impact of media on culture.
0: It all comes back to education.
1: We've got a long way to go.
0: All right, welcome back, guys. My next guest, he began his career actually selling bus ads in New York. He's a University of Syracuse grad, he has his master's at NYU. He had a TED Talk which was fascinating. We'll put that link in the blog. He's a huge Yankees fan. He's the nation's leading media ecologist. He's an author and an Academy Award nomination for documentary filmmaking. My friend Jack Myers, chairman and founder of Media Village. Welcome, Jack.
1: Thanks, Ian. And and I I know you're in Baton Rouge where I have family and many of my relatives have gone to LSU. So I'm uh, I'm an honorary LSU fan unless they're playing Syracuse, which doesn't happen too often.
0: Right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And how you and I actually know each other is you moderated a a panel uh, years ago. So I had that pleasure. And then afterwards, you and I got to talking and your nephew and I played baseball together basically our whole lives. So, yeah. But you're a fascinating man, and it's really a pleasure and an honor to have you on. So we'll jump right in. Tell us a little bit about Media Village and what it does for our listeners.
1: Well, thanks. And for, for inviting me. It's good to be here with you. I've listened to some of your prior ones, and this, this is really an enjoyable podcast that you do and, and covers both business and personalities. Media Village is designed to do the same thing, cover both the business and the personalities of the industry, and it evolves out of Media Ecology, which was really founded by Marshall McLuhan. Uh, the Medium is the Message and the Global Village. And Media Ecology... Which really focuses on the impact of media on culture, society, and business. The impact of culture, society, and business on media, and, and that's more relevant today than ever. With the role media is having in uh, both the, many of the positives as well as many of the negatives we're dealing with in the world today, and certainly for uh, Lamar and and for the business, uh, the, the transformations. That are taking place in media are absolutely critical, and that's what we cover at Media Village: the the transformation and its impact on people, its impact on the business, its impact on society and culture.
0: Yeah, and like like most media people, we're all big fans of Mad Men. So it's interesting, right? Because in the beginning, you know, go back to like the Mad Men days where you were just purely just selling a product to sell a product. There wasn't a lot of like. What's happening in society? What's happening in the world? What's happening locally within a market? Did that come into consideration when you put a an advertising campaign together? What does that evolution look like over throughout your career as you've kind of observed it uh, from the ecology side of things?
1: Well, what's interesting about the media and looking back at Mad Men, which is, you know, in my opinion, one of the top ten all time TV series, and certainly from those of us in the business, one of the most fun series to watch. But if you remember, the media department was one person who had to fight to get a computer. And when the computer came in, he talked about uh, the role of media. And and from that point on, media became more important to the Mad Men series. Mm -hmm. It wasn't at all important to the process, to the creative Media was, for decades, kind of the, the last page of a 200-page document that the agency would present to the client. Today, media is independent, it's at the forefront, and increasingly driving the creative and content decisions. Well, I'm not all that happy with the evolution that media has taken toward more programmatic, more data-driven all very positive. We're seeing the emergence of retail media. We're certainly, as we look at the metaverse, seeing increased transformation. But in many ways, that Mad Men era is being forgotten, the importance of the message, the importance of the content and its role, its value and and its influence. Today, it's more about driving awareness, breaking through the clutter, as opposed to really standing alone as art. Uh, we've, We've moved what might have been once, you know, 60% art, 40% science is now about 80, 85, 90% science and 10% art.
0: Yeah. And that, that's a fascinating point because our last podcast, a few episodes back, we had uh, Matt and Kristen from BBDO and we talked about that. We said, at what point do you bring in the medium and at what point is the creative and their response was perfect. It it depends, right? Because every medium should be treated differently. And oftentimes, to your point, Jack, whenever GeoPath, which is the, the governing measurement body within the out-of-home industry, we get super excited that we have all this data and predictability. But there's oftentimes where we take a step back. We have a, a fantastic client, a sunglass company, and we took a step back and we're like, we don't need all this data because let's just do some cool shit and just have a fun 3D execution (laughs) and play off of the city that it's in and and really make a splash there. So I'm in agreement with you. I think sometimes we get too predictive on, you know, we have to have Mm -hmm. the the data science behind things when it should be so much more.
1: Well, actually, I think some of the best creative is coming out of the out of home industry now. Uh, And uh, when I was, Looking for a job in the early 1970s, out of college and in New York for the first time, had didn't know anyone, and I followed up on a on a job that turned out to be selling bus advertising. I didn't particularly want to sell, and I didn't really know a lot about bus advertising. But the line I used to get the job was, you know, I always thought when I when I see the bus, you know, it's like a a billboard, you've only got a few seconds and you want to impact people. So you want a really short, impactful message and you want to be creative. And, you know, they kind of said, okay, you're hired. And I built my career on selling ideas, on selling the creative concept of the use of the medium as opposed to the data and impressions, which are now at the forefront of almost every media buy and media negotiation. It's become increasingly transactional and commoditized, and the idea of, of selling the, the concept, selling the use of the medium to promote a message as opposed to just how do you put a package together to get X number of impressions at X number of costs, and doing that more and more in an automated model. And I think where real innovation is taking place is in the local markets. Uh, where you're talking directly to the client and the agencies are really multi-purposed with both creative and media integrated.
0: Yeah. And that's, first off in your interview, you said every key buzzword that that's needed to get you a, a job in <laughs> advertising. So well done on that, but you're spot on, right? We as humans were curious and you know, when you walk into a media room to sell to an agency or you're selling to a publisher, that's what it's about, right? It's, it's being curious about the brand being playful with it and understanding like, okay, what fun could we do with this? Cause at the end of the day, that's what it's about. None of us woke up in the morning, including you and me who are very passionate about advertising. None of us woke up and asked for an ad on Instagram or asked for an ad on Snapchat or on a billboard. It presents itself. And if done correctly in the right context and in the right part of our day, then it could be impactful. So you kind of touched on that cutting through the clutter Our medium inherently cuts through the clutter just because it's unavoidable. But how do other mediums play in that space of that consumer psycho mindset and and their journey throughout the day?
1: You know, the medium, it's not so much how the medium cuts through the clutter. It's how people are cutting through the clutter. They're, They're avoiding advertising. And we're both baseball fans. Ian, and, and I know we're both card collectors and memorabilia collectors. I'm trying to figure out how to convert my collection into NFTs right understand. now and see if there's any monetization there. Yeah. But um, you think about baseball and we're watching games that are three and a half, four, four and a half hours long, which, which, which used to be two hours and 20 minutes. And, and that was created because they needed to get more commercials in. Yep. So they extended the game, they lengthened it, and they took the fun out of the experience. So what now what we're hearing about is they're looking at rules changes and how to speed up the game again. They're looking at how do you put the fun back into it. And I think that's what we in advertising need to be thinking about. How do we put the fun back into our business? How do we recognize that it's data-driven, it's algorithmically driven, but how do we create for people coming into the business a sense of fun, a sense that we're in an industry where we care not only about people, but we also care about the world and the social responsibility that our, that our companies take?
0: Yeah, for sure. And that dovetails perfectly into one of your foundations, AdvancingDiversity.org. Let's touch on that because diversity is a massive part of the conversation and maybe give us a little bit more about that project.
1: Well, I can tell you that I'm frustrated right now, and I think a lot of people who have been engaged in the DEI space for the last decade plus are frustrated by the lack of progress. While we look and see progress, and there's progress all around us, young people are coming into the business are far more diverse. Certainly, in gender diversity, there's 60 percent of of the agencies and media companies today are female, but It's really not happening at the most senior levels, and retention, uh, people are leaving the business in the first five years, and especially diverse young people coming into the business are leaving it, and there are a lot of reasons for that. My own involvement, I, I look back at my whole career, and diversity was just naturally a part of it, hiring and supporting those. Without recognizing it as being an effort toward diversity, it just came naturally yes. to me, and I was fortunate to be in companies like CBS and others that supported that at the time. But the real focus on it evolved out of research I was doing as part of the Myers report that showed that a growing percentage of young people coming into the industry, graduating from college, going into the communications schools, were female, 60, 65%. of new hires at the agencies over the past five years have been female. So, understanding that, we created organizations focused on mentoring, supporting, engaging, and developing female employees, and then that evolved over the last decade to multicultural, to veterans, to handicapped, to all forms of diversity, and that led to the launch four years ago of advancingdiversity.org to amplify the messages of those who were committing and succeeding and supporting diversity, and and then to advancing diversity week last year, the virtual fo- week-long focus with more than a hundred speakers, and the common thread of those speakers in the DEI space were that our industry needs to invest more, needs to focus more, while we are believers and supporters, the funding is not coming through from organizations to really engage in the education, the training, the the professional development, the tools that other industries are applying. Media advertising ranks 13th out of 15th industry in investments in team development, support, education, and advancing diversity. But... Uh, I'll also say that the reality of, you know, the implementation of programs is too slow. And and the best example I can give you is that out of 105 HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, only four have advertising curricula.
0: Well, so that's kind of my point is if you look at the universities, it really starts there because and I'm sure your research goes into this, but if you look at the medical field, you look at the engineering teams and schools at the universities, that's where it's the most diverse. And it's because we need to get people, back to your point about being excited, we need to get people excited about being in the advertising space. And so I don't want to say it's it really starts at the university, but it really does is getting people to understand advertising impacts society so much more than just Hey, it's a paid advertisement and they want me to buy this product. It's a part of your day and it's woven into how you think. Yeah.
1: The vast majority of the jobs in media today that are data and analytics jobs and technology jobs. So again, pulling from those categories in the colleges and making sure that the advertising programs that there's an understanding of the role and responsibilities of media So many people coming to colleges today are really not aware of the First Amendment. They're very aware of the Second Amendment because that gets a lot of media coverage, but they're not aware of the First Amendment, what, what the First Amendment means, what its importance is, and how in many ways the First Amendment is being misused to empower and enable certain speech that is fundamentally in my opinion destructive so that's where media ecology comes in to connect those dots and especially for the younger people where I do think to your point we're going to see some real advances as the metaverse another buzzword really begins to transform our industry over the next decade and we're not going to really see the impact of that for another decade there's a lot of inertia in our business and and we're going to move very very slowly to adapt to that technology but much less slowly than we did to adapt to the internet
0: yeah let's talk about that the future of technology and the impact that it has you know you said the word metaverse but it, it's bigger than that right it's the gaming side of the world that exists it's it's how people interact and engage with people so let's touch on that a bit
1: well first of all the metaverse is the big picture it is gaming it is all it is nfts it is all of these things that are changing evolving more than 80 percent of young people today are engaging in gaming more than 60 percent of all people are engaging in some way even if it's wordle in in gaming the dynamic of how advertisers relate to that that shift relate to that new form of engagement will i think Feedback back into the out-of-home industry because if you look inside games there's there's real estate there's inventory available so i think out of home will actually be one of the first media to naturally evolve into the metaverse in in many ways but you know talking about human communication that takes us into a lot of thinkers who are looking two three decades out believe that we'll have you know brain-to-brain communication in some form and Logic tells you that that, in fact, will happen. How that happens remains to be seen, whether it's through chips or just through increased brain function and learning how to use it more effectively. That takes us into a conversation that I don't think you you or I want to go into, Ian. But nonetheless, uh, the fact remains that the the very fundamental realities of how people communicate, how advertisers communicate, how media communicates and vice versa, are in the midst of an enormous transformation. And we're in the final stage of what's probably about a 40-year transformation. We're in the last decade of that, that we're calling the metaverse we can look at the first 30 years of it and call it the internet and we can look 30 years before that really 50 100 years before that and call it television and we can look before that and we can you know call it any number of things until we go all the way back to the beginning of time when it was out of home it was the hieroglyphics and So we're at a point in time where I think every brand, every agency, every media company, every individual has to really be looking at how to maintain the status quo to a certain extent, how to recognize that inertia is the force that maintains the norms. But at the same time, if we're not adapting to a completely transformed Culture, society, and advertising and media business—we're going to be out of business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to unpack there, and uh, this is where you and I, you know, get really excited. And I know you're the expert on this, but I'm—I'm I'm a bit of a history buff, and and you watch the evolution of societies, right, all the way back from the Roman times and how they communicated but i look at my kids so you know the 9 year old triplets and they are they're playing roblox they're playing the different farm games and they're interacting with people but they're different when they're playing games even their skins you know yeah. so the question to you is is how do advertisers thoughtfully weave themselves in and out of this and i know metaverse is the bigger world but How do they thoughtfully put themselves in a position where they may not be wanted? You know, my, my kids jacket's hysterical. If for some odd reason they have to watch a TV commercial, they lose their shit because they're so used to, you know, ad free everything that they participate in. And look, when they're playing animal crossing and they see a little ad, it's a yard sign from time to time will pop up. They're like, dad, they're trying to hit me with an ad. And granted, they know a little too much because of me. But it's interesting to watch the evolution of these kids that have started their lives in the metaverse, and they know it so well. I mean, they were two, three years old participating with their nannies on Snapchat,
1: right? Yeah, I was. I just spent some time uh, with my grandkids who are thirteen and eleven, and they uh, they were playing Fortnite. Mm -hmm. One of them on the big screen, the other on the laptop. Both there, and they tied in with my stepson who's in his 30s and they they were playing Fortnite together but they've become friends through Fortnite and really connect with each other frankly more often than i do with them the uh, which is a wonderful reality that technology enables the in terms of the advertising you know we've gone from a push to a pull you know again your kids your triplets my grandkids are are using YouTube, as many of us are, as our source of for learning, for experience, for learning about new products or how to use the product or whether we want the product. And that's user-generated in many cases. You look at Legos, there are thousands of Legos videos. They're not funded by Legos. They're telling their Lego stories. And, and, you know, kids are learning how to play music by watching the videos. It's a different world that they're growing up in and they are very aware of who's pushing content to them and its relevance to them now the fact is that data is enabling advertisers to be very targeted the question we're going to have is where does where will the privacy regulations come in and play on that uh, availability of data first party data versus third party data there's a lot of unknowns As we look forward, the bottom line is I I think there's a lot happening in in the retail media space uh, where people are looking for shopping information. They're looking for, you know, they're doing their shopping. The whole idea of the sales funnel from awareness down to transaction is collapsing and reversing and dissolving and blurring. So, brand marketers are at a point in time where they have to completely. 0 base their budgets and reconstruct at a time when they're not organized or structured to do that, where media has gone into the financial and procurement model as opposed to the marketing and brand messaging area. So there's a lot of shifts, changes, transformation that has to happen at the brand marketer. That'll lead to transformation that I think the agencies have been pretty good at at adapting and, and will adjust and adapt to and have the ability to do that and ultimately the media companies themselves where we're seeing streaming video commercial avoidance data moving to the top of the funnel and you know they're the media sellers themselves are are going to be in for a real awakening and the models we have now that are still in place uh are not that much different than when I was selling bus advertising in the 1970s.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's evolving and better understanding what media is relevant, right? And, and I was actually having this conversation right before we jumped in and started recording with our SBP of sales. He asked me the question, being a CMO in the 60s and 70s and 80s, it was very simple, right? You buy radio, you buy newspaper, you buy TV, and that was the extent of it. And you buy billboards, Make sure we buy
1: billboards. Yeah, and and you went to the agency, which had its Mm -hmm. billboard department, its radio department, its local, its national, its TV, except cable, separate from broadcast. Mm -hmm. That doesn't fly anymore.
0: Not at all. You know, that was my point to him, is that not everything can result back to a sale. So back to your point about retail media is... By the time they get to the target, which targets rolling out their own networks, Walmart's rolled out theirs. And you know, you made the point, it's, I think it's like a $40 billion industry now is the retail media. And it's fascinating because it's beyond just the products that are sold within the store. And now you have from TikTok influencer to now you're in the store and you may see a an aisle end cap with that uh, TikTok influencer. It's the journey. And to your point, you better understand the media types and position them correctly and understand not everything's going to lead to a sale, but it's going to tell a unique story if you do it to perfection.
1: Absolutely. And you need to tell a unique story or not. Yeah. And if you just want to go into a transactional model, you know, Facebook, when you see an ad on Facebook, they're not necessarily telling the story. They're trying to sell you a pair of boots or In the local market, they're just making sure that uh, when you move into a town and you need a dry cleaner, that they pop up first. So the the question that I have going forward, I refer to the 90%, 10%, 90% data, transactional, commoditized, 10% idea-based, content-based. I'm wondering whether that shrinks down to 5% or grows to 20%. And my hope is that as we look ten years from now, that twenty to thirty percent of the ad spend, if you will, is idea and content based rather than data and transactionally based.
0: You were recently on with Ottebager, who was on the podcast as well at the AAA, and you you made the comment: programmatic digital out of a home allows for us, our industry, to have an even playing field, and that's great from a transactional standpoint. You know, oftentimes I would go into these agencies and pitch these great ideas and they would say, that's great, but I can't transact with your media. So we're solving for that for the industry. But back to your point, out of home for what it is, very similar to like YouTube B-roll, as you were mentioning, kids playing with Legos, which by the way, those kids make more than you and I combined, which is another obnoxious number, (laughs) but it's the idea and to have fun with it. So I, I like that point you just made about the percentage of transaction automation data and percent ideation because keeping in mind we as consumers we want that inspiration and that's what out of home can bring it can delight and surprise a consumer and if done correctly right jack it's they don't even realize it's an ad it's just part of their experience
1: well that's also i mean that that wish for 30 percent idea and content-based, it's it's very self-serving as well because that's where Media Village lives, where we believe that when you're in a transactional model that people still need knowledge, they need education, they need understanding, they need a place to go for that pull. When when they need to pull insight, intelligence about Lamar or about out-of-home as a category, they need a place to go to learn, and our industry is really not giving them that. Anymore. So that's where Media Village comes in. It's 100% free content. We have our own dedicated search engine called meetingpress.com, which is available for students, people in the industry, or anyone just curious to go and, and prepare. What we learned in the end, you may or may not identify with this, but what we learned when we researched brands, agencies, and even sellers. We figured out the 10-minute educational module at meetingprep.com. You type in something about media marketing, advertising, entertainment, you get a 10-minute tutorial of five or six articles to read. But it's only a differentiator if there are people in the industry who actually want knowledge and care about learning.
0: I have used it. and It's the, oh shit, I have a meeting in 30 minutes. And I need to present something to have that tool is, is pretty spectacular. But that's, Jack, every conversation that I have with people like you that are in the industry, people that are outside of the industry, brands, technology, it all continues to come back to education. And to your point, if we're not providing the right content about our medium, then it may be left off a of plan. It may not even be considered because there's not enough knowledge about it.
1: Well, go to your parent company and go to the out of home industry and all the companies in it and all the media companies and agencies and ask them what percentage of their total budget spending budget across the board is devoted to team education training and also stakeholder education for sales organizations training you know teaching the agencies and and brands and industry averages across all 15 major industries of 8 to 20% Wow. So we've got a long way to go as an industry.
0: So my my last topic that I want to chat with you about, I just recently bought your book called The Future of Men. I listened to your TED Talk. Talk to me about why write the book and what you hope the impact is for not only males, but I think you said it in your TED Talk, for everyone.
1: Well, it, it evolved out of the book I had written five years earlier called Hooked Up, A New Generation Surprising Take on Sex Politics and Saving the World, which was the first look at what we now call Gen Z, and the first research done on on that generation when they were in their early teens, and what I saw evolving in that generation was a very female-centric evolution that where 60% of high school graduates, of college graduates were female, the, the efforts to move women into STEM, a lot of work by the feminist movement to really advance the role of women in society and be more focused on educating women. And as a result, they were moving into the business world. And that led to the question, well, what's happening to the men? Why are only 40% of the men graduates from high school and college? Why are they not moving into business? Why Why are they? Why are they? Why are they? And there were no answers. There was no research available the department of commerce and all the government research was focused on the advances of women so i kind of had to reverse it all to see where it was and then really talking about what the dynamics are and and there are there are societal dynamics but you know really it's it's men imposing this upon themselves coming out of the you know the hunter gatherer model and you know fundamental beliefs of the role of a male and you know, you you see it across whether it was, you know, Cosmopolitan magazine or, you know, male pumping iron magazines. You saw the, the same basic dynamic of the male-female relationship that just was no longer relevant in society. And the future of men is really more looking at the realities across different parts of our society and culture, whether it be education, media, and so on it was written in 2016 and i saw the looming backlash that has led to the political realities that have emerged and and also the fact that business just is out of touch with society and the realities of the diversity in society so the book really identified a number of solutions and here we are you know several years later and almost a decade later from when it was written and we're not seeing the kinds of shifts that are positive ones for adapting to the world that we are now in and increasingly heading toward. What we're seeing is an increasing backlash and the last vestiges of the patriarchy fighting to maintain its own place and role and pushing back to the 1950s we can look positively at that we can look negatively at that i look long term into the future and and i have no choice but to look negatively at it because it's fundamentally out of touch and that's what we're seeing we're seeing this fundamental conflict between the past and the future mm-hmm. and you know we have to decide where we are as an industry and and i don't think we are addressing our own role in the future. And that's why I appreciate opportunities like this to share my point of view and perspective and what we're trying to do at Media Village.
0: No, and I think you touch on this a good bit. You mentioned media and, you know, beyond just advertising, right? It's the story. You and I could talk for hours about this. As we wrap up the podcast, I couldn't let you go without you giving me your top two books. I know you're a big book reader and you often publish your favorite shows and and books, but Maybe leave our, our listeners with that.
1: Uh, right now, I'm reading a book called "A Visit from the Goon Squad" by Jen Regan. It's a novel, but it's a futuristic novel that relates things to the beliefs in the metaverse. Because I interviewed George Will, the columnist uh, now with News Nation, I read "American Happiness and Disconnect." by George F. Will, which is a, an amazing historical context that George Will is able to give extraordinary insight into our history, especially our political history, and relate it into today's realities. And then I've also been rereading James A. Michener's Mexico because I was in uh, Puerto Vallarta and I wanted a book to read, and I thought Mexico would be an interesting book. Uh, I always am rereading my favorite all-time book, which is Neil Postman, who was my mentor and one of the founders of Media Ecology, because it's so relevant today, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business, which is all about the role of media and news media in a world that's heading toward dystopia.
0: Yeah. And and look, you're a plethora of knowledge. I highly encourage our listeners to go check out Media Village and all its tools and all of its assets and and Jack, look, you're a fascinating man, and I am appreciative of your time and appreciative of the way that you approach media and everything that you do for our industry. So I thank you and thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, and or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.